Well, good morning, Timber Creek. How we doing? Good to see you guys. You guys enjoying this beautiful spring weather that we've got? Hey, man, it's a lot better than snow and ice. Amen. Awesome. Well, good to see you guys. My name is Stephen Cordy. I'm one of the pastors here at Timber Creek Church, and uh, it's an honor to get to be here. Pastor Jeremy and Janet, their kids, they're getting a little time away for some spring vac vacation, and uh, I get the honor of sharing with you this morning. So glad to be here. Uh, excited to jump into this series that we started a couple weeks ago on relationships, a series on relationships called It's Complicated. Everybody say, It's Complicated. Man, they're complicated. Some of those videos in that, or some of the shots in that video, that's some real life right there, right? And uh, that's how it works. Well, Pastor Jeremy, man, he's hit a home run the first two weeks of this series. As you know, those of you that have been able to hear it, uh, if you haven't, maybe it's your first time with us. First off, thanks for being here. Uh, let's welcome our guests real quick. If you're here with, the, with us for the first time in Nacogdoches and Lufkin uh, online, we're so glad that you guys are here. Thanks for joining us. And again, we're in the middle of a, a relationship series called It's Complicated, but Here's a couple disclaimers that Pastor Jeremy shared the first couple weeks, and I'm going to share it today as well when it comes to relationships in this series. Number one, there are a hundred different types of relationships. This is not a marriage series. This is a relationship series. And, and, and there's not just marriage relationships. There's dating relationships. There, there's, there's working relationships, right? A relationship of a, of a boss to employee, employee to bosses or manager or uh, direct report, whatever it might be. There are family relationships. Hello, amen. There's some dynamics there. They get a little bit crazy, right? And our family relationships, friendships, our circle of friends. There's all kinds of different friendships, right? The second disclaimer is this, there's no quick fixes for bent or broken relationships. Some of us have been through some tough situations, and there is no quick fix to a bent or broken relationship. The, rebuild, the rebuilding takes time in relationships. And then also, it all starts with you and Jesus. There's a quick uh, 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 temptation to say, man, I wish so-and-so could hear this message. I wish so-and-so could hear this about relationships. Hey, kind of put that all to the side and say, God, what, what can I hear today? What do you want to say to me? Because we're all in, in relationships, in different relationships, and there's probably some things God needs to show us, and it starts with us and Jesus. And then finally, if I'm stacked with enough humility... Right, Humility is so huge, such an important ingredient to, to everything in life. Um, I can learn about anything from anyone at any time. Amen? So those are some disclaimers for you as we jump into this series. And today, I get the privilege of talking about the idea of, of, of focusing on adding value to our relationships. Again, not just marriage relationships or dating relationships, all relationships, right? We can add value. We have, uh, you know, we can either add value, we can add health to these relationships that we're in, or we can add something that's unhealthy. Um, it's our tendency sometimes to, when we get hurt, when we get wounded, um, we don't want to add health, right? We just want to run from that relationship. Well, we can choose um, to, to make that decision to add value to our relationships. It's kind of like this, adding value. My wife and I just bought a house a little over a year ago. We wanted to live a little bit outside of town. We wanted some, some, a little bit of land. So we bought a house with almost six acres. And this house was an older home. 
And I tell you what, through the years we've done that before, but we've only done a little bit of some painting and some flooring, uh, and that's about it, right? Um, this time, we've never undertaken what we've done with this place. I mean, it's been a complete do-over, like we've added a fourth bedroom. We have tore down walls. We have painted till I can't see straight. I never want to paint again for the rest of my life. Um, we uh, had to take down that old nasty popcorn ceiling, right, and, and replace it with some other stuff. We've moved the HVAC up to the ceiling, right, done all kinds of work, and that was just the inside. This, uh, this six acres is what I would call from East Texas a redneck paradise, and it was a mess, and it needed a lot of work, and so we've been doing a lot of work on the outside as well, and so why are we doing that? Uh, we're doing it because we want to bring a value to this home that we bought, right, because one day when I go to sell it, I want to get a little bit more than what I bought it for. I want to I want to get a return on my investment on this home by adding some value to it. It's the same thing in our relationships with people. Um, it's the same deal. We can either add value and invest in those relationships, or we can invest something unhealthy in those relationships, okay? And so what I want to do is kick off by reading a passage from the Old Testament from the book of Exodus and um, read you a story real quick that's going to tie in what we're talking about, this idea of adding value. Before I read it, it's in Exodus chapter 15. Um, it's about Moses and the Israelites. Let me give you a little backstory. If you read the chapters before that, you see that God has used this guy Moses as his mouthpiece and also to lead the ch children of Israel. They've been in bondage and slavery and captivity for over 400 years. And God has used Moses to lead them out of captivity. And so Pharaoh, the Egyptian leader that's been holding them down, he lets them go. But then he changes his mind, and as they leave, and as they're leaving captivity, uh, they're on the run from the Egyptian army, and they get to the Red Sea in chapter 14. And, and many of you may know this story and recognize this story, but God does this powerful miracle where the Red Sea just opens up right down the middle, and the children of Israel and Moses, they walk right down it on dry land, and, and God sets them free. The army comes behind them from, from Egypt, and, and God just swallows them up with the water as the water comes back down, and God delivers them and rescues them, and it's this powerful, powerful miracle, and you would think, man, uh, this has got to be just the most amazing thing, and so you start reading chapter 15, they're even singing songs to God about this incredible deliverance that they've experienced, the incredible miracles, and how amazing God is, and then Moses begins to lead them into the desert, and that's where we'll pick up. Chapter 15 of Exodus, verse 22 through 27, it says, then Moses led Israel from the Red Sea. And they went into the desert of Shur. For three days, they traveled in the desert without finding water. They're thirsty, right? Anybody get real, real thirsty? These, this big group of people, man, they haven't had any water. They're trying to find water, and they are thirsty. When they came to Marah, they could not drink it because the water was bitter. In fact, the name Marah, that's what it means. It means bitter. So they're getting frustrated. They're like, hey, Moses, man, you've been leading us for three days. We're thirsty. We've been trying to find water. We finally find water, and now we can't even drink it because it's bitter, because it's no good. And uh, it's kind of like that Lufkin water, amen? You know, you're just not real sure you want to drink that water, and uh, that's how they're feeling. Verse 24, so the people grumbled against Moses saying, what are we to drink? And so then Moses cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a piece of wood, something very just weird and, and kind of an awkward thing that God does. He, he provides this tree and a piece of wood, 
And he threw it into the water, and guess what happens? The water became fit to drink. It went from being bitter to sweet. So when you get home today, find a piece of wood, throw it in your Lufkin water. Um, those of you joining us online, you live other places, I'm telling you, uh, appreciate your water. But we're glad to have water in Lufkin, amen? Um, but anyway, so he adds this water, and it changes, and it's, they're able to drink it because it goes from being bitter to being sweet. Again, God does a, a, a great miracle for them. There the Lord, the Lord issued a ruling and instruction for them to put them to test. He said, if you will listen carefully to the Lord your God and do what is right in his eyes, if you will pay attention to his commands and keep, my dec- or to keep his decrees, I will not bring on you any of the diseases I brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. Then they came to Elam, where there were 12 springs, 70 palm trees, and they camped there near the water. God provided for them and did another awesome miracle. Now, what in the world does this have to do with relationships? Why am I reading this passage to you? Well, as I said this morning, we're gonna focus on adding value to relationships. Just as Moses was led by the Lord to add wood to the water, which changed the water miraculously from bitter to sweet, we have the opportunity to add something to the water of our relationships, so to speak, right? The question is, what are we gonna add to it? Remember, the title of the series is complicated. And many as, as many of us know, relationships are complicated. They're difficult at times. They're, they're messy at times. But they are just such a vital part of our life, right? Of who we are, of who our life. Even if you're introverted here today and you're like, you know what, life would be so great if it just wasn't for people. <laughs> if people would just leave me alone. <laughs> I work from home. I'm gonna get my groceries delivered at home. Everything would be great. Just leave me alone. Let me stay at home. That's not the way God built us, right? He built us to have relationships. Let me remind all of us of that today. Relationships are in our DNA. We were made to need relationships, even when they're hard, even when they're difficult, just plain frustrating and what? Complicated, we need relationships. That's the way you and I were hardwired by God. There was a study done by UCLA out in California, the medical school there, and they found that our basic genetic structure with the brain is hardwired to form emotionally based connected relationships right from birth all the way through our life, right? It's just a part of who we are. Relationships are not optional. And though we can choose how we participate in relationships, we have no choice about whether we will participate in them. And this is a critical point. You see, our only real choice is whether we will make our relationships healthy or whether we're going to make them unhealthy and do something that's going to hinder them. And so this is very important. Before I go further, you have to know you have a choice today. We all do. You can leave today thinking, okay, I need to add more value to the relationships in my life, or I can choose to not to. I can walk out of here and say, no, man, those people hurt me. I I, I hate that environment at my workplace. I don't like these people. They've hurt me. They've scorned me. Or that, that family member did this. That family member did that. You have a choice right? In fact, that's in your, note, your notes. You have a choice to add value to that relationship or not. You and I have a choice each and every day to add something healthy to our relationships or add something unhealthy. But again, it all comes down to a choice and it's your choice. So I want to answer this question. What are you adding to the relationships in your life? Now I could go down, as I thought about this this week, as I was preparing for this, there's a ton of great 
attributes and things that we could add to relationships, you know, respect, right? Uh, more, more time, right? Um, uh, working more on myself to become a better person. So that adds to relationships. Um, how to conflict the right way. There's a lot of great things, but there's, a, there's about four that I wanted to hone in on today. And not only do I wanna mention those that bring and add value, but I also wanna talk about the ugly side of these things, the kind of the opposite as well, okay? And ask you the question, what are you adding to the relationships in your life? So number one is this, are you adding trust or uh, suspicion? Are you adding trust or suspicion to the relationships in your life? Remember back in week one when Pastor Jeremy did an amazing job explaining this idea of trust uh, with his message and the illustration of the wedding cake. How many of you gasped and wanted to cry when he tore apart that beautiful, amazingly, I'm sure, tasty wedding cake, right? Uh, What a powerful illustration. And he talked to us about the idea that the foundation of every relationship is trust, now, the table he used, that's, that's the Lord. That's the ultimate foundation, right? We've got to have Jesus as the center of our life, and that helps make everything even more healthier. But on top of that, on the bottom of that cake, the base layer, the foundation was trust. And Pastor reminded us in week one that if we do not trust in our relationships, then we won't conflict well, right? Which, you know, conflict is a part of all relationships. It's just part of it. Y'all know that. I don't have to tell you that. And it can be done the right way or it can be done the wrong way. And in and, and premarital counseling, my wife and I do that a lot. We tell couples that it's okay to, f- to have conflict. In fact, it's actually good and healthy for your marriage and your relationship or future relationship if you will learn how to do conflict the right way. But when we do it the wrong way, it can be unhealthy. Without trust, Pastor Jeremy also said, commitment becomes lukewarm. It also, he also said that we begin to avoid accountability and we all need active, healthy accountability in our life. And before we know it, the relationship is unhealthy because there's a total lack of trust. Remember, trust answers the question, am I safe? And so I wanna say this, you know, trust says this. Trust says, hey, I am safe with this individual. I feel safe. I feel so fa- uh, safe with this individual that I have a relationship with. I believe that they're reliable. Hey, we've been through some things, but we've worked through it, and they've proven themselves trustworthy, so I have trust. That's what trust says. The opposite of trust is suspicion. Suspicion says, man, I I don't know. I I don't know about this person. I don't know if I can trust him or her because they've really messed up a time or two. And you know me, I'm perfect, (laughs) Uh, but they're not. They've messed up, right? That's a lie, right? None of us are perfect, but we, 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 we want them to be perfect, right? I don't have to be perfect, but they need to be perfect, in this relationship. Remember that time he or she said this or did that? I just don't know. That's what suspicion says. And you look at that individual and that relationship through the lens of suspicion, and sometimes it isn't even this particular person. Sometimes it's not even this particular relationship. Maybe you look at someone with suspicion because of a past relationship. Maybe that one individual 10 years ago hurt you so bad that now you look at everybody with the same lens of suspicion. And that's not fair. That's not right, but that's a lot of times how we treat people and how we do things, right? We look at them through the lens of suspicion and not trust. Uh, Pastor Jeremy used to give an excellent illustration of this in starting point. Um, 
starting point has been going on for years. I've been here six years now in the last couple weeks, can't believe it. Been a part of starting point since I got here. It's gone through a lot of changes and improvements and stuff. But when I got here, they used to have a starting point party. Raise your hand if you were part of a starting point party. A few of you guys, right? Those of you that are brand new to starting point and you're like, wait, wait a second. What are you talking about, a party? I'm sorry, you didn't get a party. You did get some other stuff, but you still had a great time. But we used to have a party and it would be like after week four on a Sunday night, People would come up here to the church and we'd have food and we'd kind of hang out and just play some games and stuff. But pastor would show up and he would do this, he'd get a whiteboard and he would draw on the whiteboard and he would do this illustration to talk about this. And it was really in that setting more the relationship of, of a person that was new to Timber Creek Church and the relationship to, to the church itself, right? And he would draw this big line like a big mountain, right? And he would talk about moving along that mountain. Now this is, this you can do this with, you guys to our church, you could do it in a marriage relationship, any kind of relationship, this, this works. But he talked about going up the mountain, like if it was a church situation, it'd be like, you show up at church, somebody invites you, you have a great time, and, and in fact, maybe in the first couple of weeks, maybe you rededicate your life to the Lord, or you say yes to Jesus, things are just going so well, your kids are in kid works, they're loving it, you just keep climbing that mountain, everything's just perfect, and you're like, man, this church is amazing, these people are perfect, they can do no wrong. That's a lie. But anyway, so you just keep climbing that mountain and you're like, man, now I, I just finished starting point and, and now I'm getting on a dream team. Everything th seems perfect and you're at the top of the mountain and you think nothing could ever go wrong. If it's a marriage, it's like you kind of do the same thing. It's you guys meet and you think, oh, she's just, she's perfect. She's beautiful. She's just so cute and blah, blah, blah. She could do no wrong. Man, even the way she, she laughs and coughs is so cute. The way she swallows her drink is so cute cute. All the, you, know, you just keep going and going and going. And you get to the top and that top of the mountain is this peak of inflated expectations, right? Everything's perfect. And then all of a sudden, if it's the church deal, pastor would always use this illustration. You're in Walmart, you see him across the aisle and you wave at him. Hey, pastor, that's my pastor right there. And he doesn't wave back. And you think, dang, man, that guy's a jerk. Man, what, what the, what's the deal? I thought he was super nice all the time. I thought he was like this great guy. And he didn't even wave back at me. What you don't know is maybe, maybe him and Miss Janet had a, had a dinner that night. And she's missing something. And he had to run up to Walmart real fast and find that one, one ingredient. And, man, he's laser focused, man. And he just, he just didn't see you. Why? Because he's, he's human, Right? He made a mistake because none of us are perfect, but you're mad. You're upset. And you're saying, maybe this place isn't as perfect as I thought it was. Why are they always asking me to serve? Why are they always, you know, what's this about? What's that about, right? Uh, man, they didn't call me. Um, you know, I missed a Sunday, and my dream team coach didn't call me. What's the deal? They must not care about me, right? If it, and then when it's a marriage situation, that peak of inflated expectation, that's the wedding day. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, after a few weeks, the honeymoon's over, you're starting to say, huh, the way she swallows that drink, that, that's not as cute as I used to think it was. Um, or man, he, why is he so dirty? I mean, he's, he's still handsome, but dang, like, why can't he clean up after himself? Has he always been this way? And all of a sudden, you start kind of floating down that mountain to this valley. And there's this valley of uh, what Pastor would say, this valley of dis, dis, uh, disenchantment, basically. So you've got the peak of inflative expectation, this valley down here, and there's the space in between. And that's called reality <laughs> because we're all people and we all mess up and we all make mistakes. And all of us have a choice. Remember I said that? We all have a choice. We fill that gap, that reality, with one of two things, with trust or suspicion. 
And a lot of people fill it with suspicion and they say, you know what, I knew it. I knew this marriage would be just like the last one. I knew he or she would do this. I'm out of here. And what do they do? They jet, they take off, and they start the whole process over with a new guy, a new lady. If it's, if it's a job environment, a, a company, man, I knew they would do the same thing this last company did. I can't trust these people. I'm, I'm gonna leave and I'm gonna go start the next place. And you have these ideas and expectations that are not realistic, you know? And I could go on and on and on, and this is what happens in relationships, all kinds of relationships. We have a choice to fill that gap with either trust or suspicion. That's in your notes there. Do you fill the gap with trust or suspicion? And so many times we're so guilty of seeing everything and seeing everyone through a lens of suspicion, but you have a choice. Number two, honor or dishonor. What are you adding to the relationships in your life? Are you adding honor or dishonor? Honor says this, I'm gonna treat that individual with admiration and respect no matter what. I may not agree with him or her on everything. We may have some different viewpoints on some things. Eh, he does that a little bit different, but you know what? I'm gonna honor him or her. Why? Because I'm gonna see through that and just honor them because, hey, they're, they're a child of God just like I am. Dishonor says, I'm gonna treat this individual with disrespect based on what their actions or the actions of someone else. I don't like them. I don't like how they... Can you believe what they said on social media? I, I can't believe he, he agrees with that or stands for that, you know, this or that. And, and I, I can't agree with that. So I'm gonna dishonor that individual because of that based on those things. You see, to honor someone is to look past the exterior and to the inner person who was what? Was created in the image of God. Because at the end of the day, no matter what their outer exterior, no matter how good, bad, whatever, no matter what choices they've made, at the end of the day, they're as much a child of God as I am. And I've gotta look past that and honor them for that. Good example of this is when I was 11 years old, I, I lost my grandfather, Walt Horlacher was his name. And he was like the man. I mean, he was, I loved him so much. Next to my dad, he was my best friend. He had such a huge impact on my life. And it was really hard. That was the first, at 11 years old, I can remember, that was the first like family member I'd ever lost, first funeral I'd ever gone through, gone to, and it, it was tough. And little did I know um, that my grandmother did something special for me. See, my grandfather, he was, he was this kind of little guy, but man, he was tough as nails. And he was from the streets of Philadelphia is where he grew up, and man, he was a tough, tough guy. And he was a World War II veteran. In fact, he fought in Europe in World War II, and uh, just a, a, an awesome man. And when we got to the gravesite service and we were going through that, they had the military men there and they did taps and they did all this. And of course, the, the American flag that was draped across his casket, they did the whole ceremony, they folded it. And what my grandmother did is she went up to them before the, the gravesite and she said, hey, I want you to give that flag to my grandson, not me. And they handed it, these soldiers handed it to me. And man, I lost it as a little guy. It was just such a special moment for me. And I, I've kept that flag through the years. If you go in my office here at the church, it's still up on my bookcase. It's in this nice case, framed case with wood. And, and that's my grandfather's flag from his funeral back in 1989. I still have it. And you know, as a kid, it was cool, but it was like, it's a flag. You know, it's an American flag. We're supposed to respect that. But as I got older, I began to realize something. When I served in France for two years, uh, my family and I, we were there for two years helping start an international English-speaking church. I got the privilege to go to Normandy, France. 
and go to the American Cemetery, the National Cemetery there, um, right there where D-Day happened, right on the edge of the, the, the cliffs there of Utah Beach and Omaha Beach. And we got to see all that and experience it. It was a beautiful place. In fact, I got a picture here of me and my son Landon when he's a little guy walking through the grounds. Look how little he is. He's 12 years old today. Disclaimer, first service, I said he was 11. Trust me, he let me, he let me know about that, that I messed up his age <laughs> after first service. Like, Dad, come on, really? And um, he has earned that 12 years old, and I better get it right. So this is Landon. We're walking through this, uh, the grounds of this beautiful place. And that ocean there, that's the beaches just on the other side of where D-Day happened. And I realized in that moment that the flag that was given to me and the flag as a whole, I can see it as an outside it's just, it's just fabric, it's just a flag. But what I realized that day was like it means so much more that I have to look past the exterior and realize that that flag represents all those headstones and the men and the women, not just from World War II, but for many other wars that have sacrificed their life so that I could be free and that my kids could be free. And you look past the exterior of just that flag and know, wow, this means so much more. And I honor that, right? We honor that. We honor the veterans that have fought for us. Why am I saying that? I'm saying that because it's the same thing in our relationships. We have to look past the exterior of an individual, a relationship that's been broken, that's been hurtful, and we have to begin to see them past the exterior to the interior as a child of God. And I know this isn't a marriage uh, series, but let me speak to the married couples for just a moment. In 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7, uh, Peter gives these instructions to husbands and wives. And in verse 7, he says, Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. Show honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. And all wives are like, do you hear that? Your elbow and the, the husband next to you. Do you hear that? And, um, but when you look at that, it says it right there, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel. Uh, it, it's not that uh, when I look at Ellie, um, that she is weaker and, and, I, and I have to, that she's different than me. At the end of the day, when it's past the exterior, my wife is still a daughter of the king. And I need to treat her with great honor and great respect because she's a daughter of the king, right? She may be a weaker vessel on the outside as a woman, but she is still a daughter of the king. And it says there, uh, vessel, as in a vase, an expensive, priceless vase. I can either treat her like a red solo cup or I can treat her like a beautiful, expensive vase by showing her honor in everything that I do. And now, 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 ladies, uh, don't, don't, yeah, I know you're, you're elbowing the guy next to you, but hey, it also says in the six verses leading up to that, it talks a lot about wives also showing honor and, and to the husband as the leader of the home, as the head of the home. And, and there's just something beautiful about that. Like none of us are perfect. There's no marriages that are perfect. But at the end of the day, if, if I'm trying to out-honor Ellie and she's trying to out-honor me, man, that's the breeding ground for some real healing. That's a breeding ground for a beautifully blessed, not perfect, but beautiful blessed marriage. And those of you, I think you might be sitting here today, wives or husbands, and maybe the spouse is not even here today because they just don't even attend church with you. Maybe they don't know Jesus. And that can be a difficult thing, but I'm telling you, if you will honor, if you'll look past the exterior, if you'll look past the rough exterior and look straight to them as a child of God, just like Jesus sees them, see them with the eyes of Jesus and you'll honor that, God will do an amazing work in their life and in your marriage, amen? It goes on to say too, in the chapter before that, chapter two of 1 Peter, um, 
it talks again about this honor. And, and, but it says, honor everyone in chapter two, verse 17. Love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. You know, what's interesting about this is when Peter's writing this, the emperor they believe at the time was Nero. And if you don't know anything about that, the emperor Nero was an evil man who persecuted Christians, killed Christians. And yet here's Peter still saying, honor the emperor. And I know in our day and time and in America, this has been an interesting year, hasn't it? With the election and everything else. And so polarizing on different sides of the aisle. But can I just suggest to us guys, we may not like the new president, or maybe we, didn't, we like this one and we didn't like the previous president, but at the end of the day, God says, look past that exterior. You may not agree with everything, but honor your leadership. Pray for your leadership. If we will do that, if we will lead the way in that as believers and as the church, God will do something amazing and powerful. So honor is looking past a person to the position that they hold. Amen? Number three, are you choosing loyalty or apathy? Loyalty or apathy? Loyalty says that I'm going to be faithful to that individual and support them despite their imperfections and what they have done or not done, right? I'm gonna stay loyal in that relationship. But apathy says, hey, the relationship really hasn't turned out the way that I thought it would, the way I wanted it to, or the way I expected, so I'm not sure I wanna continue in this. I might just step out, right? See, when apathy takes root in any relationship, there's a lack of feeling which can lead to a lack of emotion, passion, excitement, and concern. Loyalty says differently. Loyalty says, hey, I'm here. I'm here no matter what. It's saying to that family member, look, we, we've been through it, but I love you, your family, I'm here. I may not agree with everything that's going on and the choices that you're making, but I'm here, right? says, I'm here. I know there have been bumps in the road. I know that there has been conflict and even hurt, but I'm here and I'm willing to rebuild. I'm willing to heal and I'm willing to move forward. In order to add loyalty to any relationship, all we have to do is remind ourselves of the loyalty of our heavenly father and what he has shown us. Look at Exodus 34 verses six and seven. The Lord passed by before him and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, who's slow to anger and abounding in loyal love and faithfulness, keeping loyal love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. So thankful for that. And it reminds me that the people that are in my lives, in my life, I've gotta be loyal to. Do I have to agree with everything they're doing? No. Do I sometimes have to put up boundaries in relationships? Absolutely. If you're in a relationship that's just causing you a lot of bit of hurt, don't keep going back to that. Sometimes we have to set up boundaries, but in those boundaries, I am still gonna show compassion. I am still gonna show grace. I am still gonna show patience with that loved one, with that family member or whoever it may be. Why? Because God's done the same for me. I don't deserve it, but he's done it anyway. And how dare I shut everything down and say, forget it. I'm I'm cutting that person out of my life because of this or that or whatever reason. I still gotta show compassion, right? And so that's so important for us to remember. Loyalty is about compassion, grace, and patience. 
Where do we learn that from? We learn it from God. We learn it from the Lord and our relationship to him. Loyalty speaks to a commitment. It speaks to covenant over contract. What are contracts? Why do we have contracts? Contracts, because somebody screwed up. <laughs> somebody messed up, right? And so contracts are written to fix uh, and, and keep yourself from being protected from, from somebody messing up, right? And too many times we look at marriages or we look at relationships as contracts and not covenants. When God meant, especially the marriage relationship, to be this covenant, right? that says, I'm going to be loyal to this person, right? Until the very end, till better or for worse, in sickness and in health, I'm gonna be loyal, right? It's not a contract. Loyalty is an added value that must be present, not only in marriage relationships, but also in family relationships, work relationships, relationships even among friends. So when there is loyalty, there comes a commitment to uh, working toward compassion, showing grace, and to display patience. Number four, the final one here, when we're adding value to relationships, are we adding forgiveness or bitterness? It's a question we have to ask ourselves. Are we adding forgiveness or bitterness? Forgiveness says, hey, I value you too much to allow what has been said or what has been done to destroy our relationship. I'm gonna cancel the debt that I felt that you owed me. I choose to remember that God has forgiven me and canceled the debt and begin a process of healing in our friendship and our relationship, right? But bitterness says this. Bitterness says, because of what you did, because of what you said, I refuse to forgive you. I refuse to forget. And now you owe me a debt that must be repaid. And you know what? I hope you feel as bad as I do in the process. That's what bitterness says. And it takes root in our life and can do so much damage. Can I remind every one of, of us today some facts about bitterness? My wise assistant, Whitney Lindsay, anybody know Whitney Lindsay? She uh, woo, reminded me of a quote the other day when we were discussing, talking about this message. She said this quote, she said, bitterness is like drinking poison and waiting for the other person to die. Man, that's true, isn't it? I've never drank poison. I don't plan on it, but I'm pretty sure it doesn't work out that way, right? And so in the end, it will only harm the one who's drinking the poison. Bitterness is so like that. We all get hurt. We all experience pain in relationships. In John 16, it says that in this world, you will have trouble. Not maybe, not every once, not, not, not if you'll have trouble, but when you have, you're gonna have it. We're gonna face trouble in this life. We're gonna face trouble in relationships. But we must be careful to guard our hearts because while bitter experiences are inevitable, they're gonna happen, bitter experiences should not make us bitter, period. That's not what God designed for you and I. When we become bitter, the reality is, is we cannot be blessed. God will not bless us becoming bitter towards someone else. It won't happen. There will not be blessing with that. God won't bless that. Bitterness demands payment. And it imparts this pain to the offender. You live life driven by the idea that, man, I want the offender to repay me. And man, I hope they hurt like I have hurt through the years. But forgiveness, on the other hand, forgiveness dismisses the debt and imparts favor to the offender. In contrast to bitterness, you, you live life driven by this other idea that I wanna release the offender 
and I wanna grow in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus Christ. And only God can help us do that. You know, just a minute ago, I said, I talked about John 16, 33, and it said, in this world, you will have trouble. But I didn't read the rest of it. It goes on to say and remind us, but take heart, I've overcome the world. So grateful for that. And he's gonna help us navigate these relationships when it's time to start adding value to them. The Lord can heal our hearts and our wounds and he can teach us how to forgive like he forgives. How do you choose forgiveness? Well, look at what God's word says. Luke chapter 17, verse three and four, it says, pay attention to yourselves. I love that. Stop there for a minute. This, this means some self-reflection. This means, okay, I need to look inside a little bit. I need to let the Lord help me evaluate some things here, maybe work on myself a little bit. And it goes on to say, if your brother sins, rebuke him. In other words, just go to him, talk to him, bring up the issue, begin to try to work it out and talk to them. And if he repents, forgive him. If he sins against you seven times in the day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, then it's okay, you can push him to the side because they did it too many times. Does it say that? No, it doesn't say that. It says if they do it seven times, then you forgive them seven times. Why? Because God has forgiven us 70 times, seven times. Amen? Let us not forget that. When we remember what our Savior Jesus Christ did for us, we see this game plan for forgiveness and he teaches us how to play that game and how to, how to operate in that and begin to truly forgive the people in our life. And just to close today, you know, at the beginning of this message, I said that all of us today, it, this, this all comes down to a choice. It's a choice. When it comes to adding value to our relationships, it's our choice, our choice to add value and health or add unhealth to these relationships. And for many of us, for too long, we've been seeing people, seeing relationships through the lens of suspicion. We've been seeing people and, 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 and not honoring them, not seeing through the rough exterior and seeing them for who they really are as God has created them, that they're still a child of God. Many times we've been, we've been bitter because somebody hurt us and hurt us in that relationship. But we have a choice. We don't have to live in that anymore. The question is, what are you gonna choose? And so why don't you close your eyes, bow your heads this morning at all of our locations and online, you can join us praying too. And I just gotta ask the question. I think the first thing that we've gotta say and, and remember is we have to remember what Jesus did for us. And so for, for maybe for some of us in this room, the first step is realizing, I need to accept God's forgiveness of me. I need to ask Jesus to come into my life and restore my relationship with him. Maybe for the first time or the first time in a long time, maybe I need to get things right with God before I can even get things right in these relationships. If that's you this morning, would you raise your hand? If you're like, you know what? I need to make my relationship with God right this morning. Thank you guys for raising your hand. Amen. See, I wanna relate this as we get ready to pray. Relate this back to Exodus chapter 15 that we read earlier. You see the wood that Moses threw into the water it came from a tree, it was a piece of wood. And that wood was a change agent in the water. It changed the water from bitter to sweet. And I can't help but think about this, the cross, another tree, a piece of wood that was used to hang Jesus on the cross to die for our sins. The, it is the change agent of history. That cross, that piece of wood was also a change agent for us, for all of us here. 
And we've got to allow Jesus to do that in our life as well. It starts with us. The cross sweetens bitter times in our life, just like that piece of wood thrown in the water sweetened that bitter water, changed it. It was a change agent. And the cross is a change agent in our life. Let me pray for you this morning. God, I thank you for those who raised their hand this morning. Whether it's to say yes to you, Jesus, for the first time, or yes to you for the first time in a long time, it's the greatest thing that we could ever do. And it begins there, God, through understanding that you have forgiven us. And God, as you've forgiven us, you're gonna help us forgive others. You're gonna help us see people. You're gonna help us see the honor in, in other relationships. You're gonna help us to trust more in the relationships that we have here on earth. You're gonna help us, Lord, to be more loyal to the relationships that we have here on earth, God, because you've been loyal to us. You've honored us and loved us. You've trusted us and we can trust you. And so, Lord, I pray that we would trust you with our lives. And for everyone else here this morning that might say, you know what, I've been serving the Lord, but Pastor Stephen, I've just been living in bitterness. The root of bitterness has taken such a deep grip on my life. God, I pray that you would begin to free them, God. This is a process. It may not happen today, God, but the process can begin today, God. If we will trust this, trust you, and release this to you, God, would you help us to no longer see people through the lens of suspicion, but that we would trust people, God? Will we get burned again? Probably. But as we trust you, you're going to help us trust others. God, help us to see honor in people, God, instead of dishonoring them. Let us see that they are as much a child of God as I am. God, let us see loyalty, God, and not apathy, Lord. Let's not give up on the relationships that you've put in our life just because it hasn't worked out the way we thought it would. God, let us trust you and be loyal. And then finally, God, help us to forgive. Help us to begin to forgive and get healing, God, so that we might become all that you've called us to be, God. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.